Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. Uh, my name is Nick, and I serve as the pastor of student ministries, uh, overseeing our teen and our college ministry. So if you're a college student or you're a family moving in your teen, this, uh, your student this weekend, just want to welcome you here to our church uh, this morning. And I especially want to uh, thank you for joining us to worship the Lord as we highlight all that God is doing uh, in and through kids ministry. And I think I could speak on behalf of kids ministry. If we had to talk about all that God is doing, we would have a very long service because God is just doing so many amazing things in and through our kids ministry. And so this is the time of our service where we're going to dive into God's word Together, And so before we dig in to the Word of God this morning, I want to start off by asking a question. And I want you to think about this. Who do you say Jesus is? And now before you answer that question right away or maybe think of a Sunday school type answer, I want you to really pause and think about this question. I'm going to read it again and I want you to Take a moment and think about this question. And how would you respond to it? Who do you say Jesus is? And now in light of that question, I want to ask a follow-up. Does that change how you live? Does that change how you live? These are two questions that we are going to look at this morning. And I'm going to challenge you to really think and reflect on what your answers might be to these. And so to do so, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. And so you can open your Bibles now if you have one. Uh, I'll also have it here on the screen as well. So Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And so as you turn there, uh, let me just take a moment and ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Heavenly Father, please open our eyes, minds, and hearts to your word this morning. Please speak through me in a way that brings you glory and you alone. Help us to quiet the distractions we may be fighting this morning and direct our attention to you. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read together Mark chapter 2. Again, I'll have it on the screen for you to follow along if you don't have it in front of you. And when he, referring to Jesus, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home, and many who were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit 
that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So keep in mind here, this passage that we just read is early on in Jesus' formal ministry, and many people were just starting to hear about Jesus, who he was claiming to be, and what he was doing. Many people were beginning to hear, who is this Jesus? What is he doing? And at this point, people were trying to figure him out, and that's still true to this day. But people were trying to figure out who Jesus was, and Jesus was not shy about who he is and exerting his authority. Which is why in chapter 1, what does Jesus do? Well, he heals a man with an unclean spirit. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many. He heals a leper. So many around Galilee. Jesus was making waves quickly. And people were coming to him from every quarter. People from all over heard about this Jesus and what he was doing, and they were coming from all over the place to hear and to see this man. Which is why in verse 1 of chapter 2 that we read, when people caught wind that Jesus was back home in Capernaum, where his ministry was rooted at this point, people gathered quickly to where he was. Talk about surprise guests coming home. People were gathering together. So much so, they were cramming themselves into where Jesus was staying just to hear him preach. And it's not just that they were gathering together. Verse 2 says, there was no more room, not even at the door. They were packing in to hear Jesus. They were so tightly packed in, there was not even room at the door to peek in and try to hear what Jesus was saying. And so keep in mind, this was not a big house. These were not big houses, relatively small. And people were spilling out into the street outside his home just to hear him preach. And so to give you a little bit of context and reference here, um, this picture is actually the believed spot of Peter's house in Capernaum. And when we were in Israel this past spring, we were blessed to spend some time here. And we don't know for certain, but this is likely where Jesus stayed when he was in Capernaum. And therefore, it is a potential spot for where this miracle may have taken place. But regardless, this is just a little bit of a visual to reference 
what is taking place here. So in the middle, you have this courtyard area, and around the outside, you can maybe kind of see some smaller rooms. And the courtyard was where they were gathered, which more than likely would have been where Jesus was teaching and preaching. And so they were crammed in here all around the outside, spilling out into the streets. And so as Jesus was preaching, we get introduced to this group of men, which presumably I would say were probably a group of friends desiring to bring this paralytic man to Jesus. These men heard about Jesus and they were here to see him. But upon their arrival, they encountered a very packed house. They came all this way to hear Jesus. And when they got there, they probably didn't have to take a lot of time to think about, I think there's a few people inside. But that didn't stop them. They had to think outside the box, or I would say a house in this case. So what did they do? They got there and said, well, it's a little too, too full for, for us. I guess we'll just go back home. No. Verse 4 says, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so they couldn't get near the house. So what do they do? Well, these four men carried this paralytic man up to the roof by way of maybe either an outside staircase, maybe a ladder. I don't, I don't think they parkoured. I'm not sure. But somehow they got their way up to the roof. And so verse 4, it says they removed the roof. And so don't let that fool you at what's happening here. And I want to take a moment and highlight this because it's easy to, just, to gloss over that they removed the roof and then we continue on reading. But this roof was made of intertwined branches, leaves, fabric, combined with hard-packed clay. This wasn't something that they could just climb up, grab a crowbar, remove a couple nails. I don't think they just pull out a power drill and zip, 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 pull it right off. They had to actually rip apart this roof to open up a hole the size of the stretcher. Tearing up fabric, breaking apart hardened clay with big rocks, snapping branches, pulling them back. The NASB actually translates it as digging and opening. And so I don't want to look, overlook what is happening here. They were literally digging through the roof to get to Jesus. Imagine them up there, probably with giant rocks, pounding away, trying to get through the hard-packed clay, removing branches. I don't think it was a very quiet effort. And all four of them were a part of this, digging through the roof. Right above where he was preaching. They didn't try to go in the back way. They were right in the middle above Jesus, drilling their way through to get to him. And I couldn't imagine what Jesus would have been thinking in that moment to be preaching and teaching and then to maybe some dust starting to fall above him, hearing some loud noises. I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have gotten really nervous of what was happening. But they were digging through the roof to get to Jesus, a pretty giant size 
whole. And as I read this, all I can think of is, I hope you're protected from mayhem like this. Okay, a few of you got it. That's good. This picture here now is right above Peter's house, presumably Peter's house looking down. And so where his house is now, they actually built a church over it. And they have this uh, very thick plastic uh, glass cover that you can actually look down in and see above the courtyard. And again, this is, you know, a presumed spot. We don't know for sure. But this is right above Peter's house looking down. So imagine being in the house with Jesus, listening to him preach, people crammed everywhere, and all of a sudden you start hearing loud noises, dirt falling from above. The people were probably wondering, what is going on? And these men were going through extreme measures to get to Jesus, and they were making a way for their friend to encounter Jesus, and nothing was going to stop them, not even a roof. And so they finally dug through, and they lowered the man down to where Jesus is. And so I just love to take these moments and think about the exciting nature of what is happening in God's word being a person there, listening to Jesus teach, seeing the roof open up, somebody being lowered down in. People were probably whispering, is this part of his teaching? What is going on? And again, they were crowded in there. So to make room for this man on a stretcher, I'm thinking people are probably, excuse me, pardon me, can we, we got to make some room here, right? It's, it's a packed scene, and yet he's being lowered down in. And so what does Jesus say to all of this commotion? Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say this? Well, Jesus recognized the ingenuity and persistence of these men. These men heard about Jesus and what he was doing, and they believed what they heard so much so that they went through all of this hassle, commotion, and disruption to get to Jesus. But through all of this, what did Jesus see? Verse 5 says their faith. Their faith in who Jesus was and what he could do. They had heard and they believed and they would not stop at anything to get to Jesus. And I'm sure this group's primary focus was getting their friend healed physically But Jesus actually addresses the man's greatest need, forgiveness of sin. That's why he says in verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. This man's greatest need wasn't to walk again or for his suffering to be removed. It was for him to be forgiven of his sins. His friends could get him to Jesus, but they couldn't do what this man ultimately needed, and that is forgiveness of sins. And keep in mind, Jesus didn't start by healing him, nor does he even address his paralysis. He addresses his greatest need for a Savior to forgive his sins. And so we've been talking all summer about suffering, and right here is a great example Jesus didn't heal his physical suffering right away. He didn't even acknowledge that suffering. And there's no doubt that this man knew suffering. But Jesus goes right to the heart, 
to forgive this man's sins because only Jesus has the power to forgive sins and restore our relationship with God. And so I think this is already a good reminder that Jesus cares first about where you stand before him, before your suffering. And so as Jesus says this, the religious leaders instantly and in their minds and in their hearts question him. Why does this man speak like that? Again, referring to verse 5 when he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew this, though, because verse 8, it says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? So side note, this is still true today. Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your mind and in your heart. He knows exactly what's going on. So what does Jesus say then in verse 9? What's easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? What does his response mean? Well, for humanity, both are impossible, but for God, both are easy. Only God can make a way for true healing for both our physical nature but also our standing before God. And so Jesus wanted them to know explicitly that he has the authority to forgive sins. And then he follows that up with saying to this man on the stretcher, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man does just that. And so Jesus says, which is easier? Well, let me show you that I can do both. Talk about a mic drop. Which is easier? Let me show you that I have the authority to do both. Again, imagine being in this crowded room, everyone having to move to make a way for this man who was now healed of his sins and then his paralysis. When Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and go home. I mean, this room was still crowded. People had to move to make way for this man who just had his sins forgiven and who could now walk. Imagine being in that place, having to move and see this man walk right before your eyes. This is the power and authority of Jesus. And so what's the crowd's response? Verse 12, I love this. They were all amazed. And what was their response? They glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. And so there's a lot more that we can impact. But I want to now reflect back to those two questions that I asked you earlier. The first question, who do you believe Jesus is? The scribes questioned Jesus. They doubted Jesus. They called him a heretic, a blasphemer. But what would you call him? What would you call Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus is? Would you say a good moral teacher, a liar, a swindler, a fake, a great example of a spiritual person? Or would you say he is the son of God, the Messiah, and he has the power and authority to forgive sins? Later on in the gospel of Mark, 
Listen to the question that Jesus asks his disciple. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And they are standing in Caesarea Philippi, standing in front of this giant area with all of these different temples of worship for Zeus, for Pan, for all of these pagan gods. Everyone lining up to go worship their gods. And so Jesus stands with his disciples and he, as they're looking out, says to them, who do people say I am? But who do you say that I am? But think about that question how would you honestly respond? How would you respond to that question? Well, listen to how Peter responded. He says, you are the Christ. And so will you respond like Peter? Or perhaps will you respond like the scribes did? And so I just want to say, if you are here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do so, to place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins because God's word says it. I am just here to point you to it because Jesus is the only one who has the power and authority to do so. Because how you respond to the question of who Jesus is will impact you not only for the rest of this life, but for eternity. So we should not take that question lightly. And so that leads me to the second question I want you to reflect on this morning. And this is especially for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. How will you respond to who Jesus is? How will you respond to who Jesus is? When these men heard about Jesus, they responded in faith, bringing their friend to Jesus, tearing apart the roof to get to them. And Jesus saw their faith in action. And this Greek word here for saw means to see with the eyes, to see with the mind, to look upon. And so Jesus saw their heart and their actions, and he saw their faith. These men heard what Jesus was doing, and they had faith that he could heal this paralytic man too. And so that's why they brought him to Jesus. But in healing the man physically, he showed them that he is also Savior by forgiving his sins. And that's why, again, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus looked at these four men struggling with crude ropes tied to each corner of the stretcher with this paralytic man on it. He looked at them and saw their faith. Their faith could be seen. And their bold, determined action to bring their friend to Jesus proved that they had faith. And so, to be clear, we don't earn our salvation by what we do. It's not works-based But salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 says that. But James 2 says that faith without works is dead. And so there should be evidence of that faith in Jesus Christ. So again, who do you say Jesus is and how are you going to respond? 
Well, as a pastor, I am incredibly grateful for the many, many volunteers who serve within our kids' ministry, who are responding to who Jesus is by giving of their time, energy, and resources to help make a way for kids to come to Christ, to faithfully teach the Bible every Sunday, to care for young newborns in Christ-like love, to organize fun activities for kids to encounter God's word, to go above and beyond to care for families so parents can also have a way to come to Christ. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And you may or may not realize it, but every week when we dismiss the kids during the service, we have that transition video with the fun music and and all the excited chaos happening. And at the end of that video, again, you heard it earlier, there's this saying, making a way for kids to come to Christ. And like Pastor Mark said, this is not something that we just put up for fun because it sounds cool, but it's intentional because that's our mission in kids' ministry, to make a way for kids to hear about who Christ is and inviting them to respond to what he has done for them. We want to help kids see Jesus for who he really is, our Savior, to forgive us of our sins. But this isn't just our approach for kids' ministry. It's the same approach for our teens, our college students, men's ministry, women's ministry, community outreach. Everything we do is making a way for people to come to Christ. I mean, that's why we started this endeavor in faith to add more parking, to make more room, to make a way for people to come hear about Jesus and what he can do in their life. And so we as a church want to be a place where we can help people see Jesus for who he really is is and invite them to place their faith in him. But this mission isn't just for our volunteers all over the place serving. This is for every single follower of Jesus. This mindset is one that we must all prayerfully adopt because we must ask ourselves, how am I making a way for someone to come to Christ? And let me give you a few examples of what making a way for someone to Christ might look like. This isn't an exhaustive list, but what does this look like? How can we make a way for someone to come to Christ? Well, are you giving into workplace gossip or do you choose to speak in a way that honors Jesus? How are you responding to the suffering that you face in your life? Are your family, friends, neighbors, and whomever around you able to see the faith that you have in Jesus or Are you just trying to fit in with the crowd? Are you willing to graciously utilize the shuttle to allow people to park here? Or are you frustrated at the inconvenience to make room? Are you constantly grumbling and complaining about today's youth? Or are you stepping out in faith to help reshape and form them to help make a way for them to come to Christ? As a parent, are you making every effort possible for your kids to just learn about Jesus? And I know for parents, Sunday mornings can be the hardest morning of the week. I was waiting for an amen, but I wasn't sure about that. (laughs) The kids are tired. You're tired. Everything just seems to go wrong, doesn't it? And it's always Sunday morning, it seems. Just getting them to church feels like climbing Mount Everest. 
But remember, simply just bringing your kids to church, no matter how mismatched their clothes are, how crazy their hair is, just bringing them here is a great starting point to making a way for them to come to Jesus. Or maybe even now as the fall semester is starting up, school's picking back up, your weekly schedules may be filling up with sports and drama, music, whatever, and you're going, okay, I, some things have to go. I got to cut some things out. And maybe you decide, okay, well, I'm going to just take out some Bible studies, kids programs, community group, our family, devotional time, prayer time with the kids, worship music, jam sessions, whatever it may be. Maybe you decide to just cut some of those things out instead. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying at all that some of those after-school programs are bad, so please do not hear that. I'm not saying that at all. But if those things consistently take precedence over their opportunities to learn more about Jesus and respond in faith, you eventually instill in them, whether you realize it or not, that those things are more important than Jesus. Because your time, energy, and passions point to your priorities. And like they mentioned earlier, man, kids see everything and they pick up on everything. And so what priorities do you want them to see in all of you? And so let me just close with this. Jesus focused on this paralytic man's greatest need, and that is forgiveness of sin. And I want to echo that, that that is also each and every one of us, our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. If you feel like you're lacking something, well, Jesus said that our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And so have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin? And if you haven't, I would invite you to do that today. And if you have questions about that, please feel free to come talk to myself or one of the pastors. We would love to have that conversation with you. And if you are here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus, are you living in a way that reflects that belief? Because verse 5 Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. And so what would Jesus say to you as he looks at how you're living now? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? What might God be asking you to do in response to who Jesus is? And how are you participating in making a way for others to come to Jesus. And church, I hope and pray that you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and that you would respond in faith to say, Jesus, I want to serve you in whatever way that looks like. Maybe it's just simply sending a prayer through a text to somebody who needs it today. What could God be asking you to do to help make a way for others come to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and what you have done. Lord God, thank you for the reminder that we need to place our faith in you because our greatest need is for forgiveness of sins. And I pray that if there is someone here today who has never place their faith in you, Lord Jesus, that they would respond to your word and do so. Because how they answer the question, who is Jesus, will directly impact them for the rest of their lives. And for us today who have placed 
our faith in Jesus? Is that belief changing how we live, how we act, how we speak? Do people around us see a difference? Are we making ways for people to come to Jesus in whatever that looks like? God, I pray that the Spirit of God would lead and guide us, open our eyes to the ways in which you might even today call us to step out in faith to help make a way for someone to come to Jesus. God, may we look to you and you alone. I pray that whatever we need to do, it might not be digging through a roof, but God, I pray that we would take whatever steps of faith to follow after you because that would be the greatest choice we will ever make in our lives. And so God, may you be honored and glorified. And I pray that from today, we would hear stories where you would be glorified and people would be amazed and that we would say, we have never seen anything like this. God, may you be glorified. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.